Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. If you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew 5, you can be waiting on me by the time I get there. Let's just recap real quick where we've been. We're in a series called Unchristian. We're talking about religion, and I'm defining religion in today's world by people who don't go to church when they talk about religion, and sometimes even people inside the church when they talk about religion. There's a, there's a biblical definition of religion. We looked at that a little bit last week, and that basically says that pure religion, James says pure religion, is that you take care of widows and orphans and that you keep yourself unpolluted from the world. Now, if that's what religion is, I want to be religious. Okay, if that's how we're defining religion, I've got no problem being called religious. The problem is most people today don't define religion that way. They define religion as something that you do. I define it as doing, this, doing something doing the same thing over and over to get God to love you more. That's how I define religion. There are an awful lot of people, maybe you know some too, who, who that's what they do. They just do an awful lot of stuff the same way all the time and they're in the hope that God will love them more. We said in week one that religion always complicates what God has made simple. I think that's true. We said that religion in religion, it's never just Jesus. That in religion... Religion adds something to it. It's Jesus plus fill in the blank. Jesus plus something. Jesus plus short hair. Jesus plus being dressed up. Jesus plus no tattoos. Jesus plus no drums on your stage. Jesus plus something equals salvation. And, you know, there are certain people that will walk in here and see what's going on in here this morning and go, I'm out. Those people are crazy and they don't love God because they got long hair and some of them got tattoos and and some of them aren't dressed up and and there was a drum kit on stage and they would say that can't be a church well that's religion and so jesus is quite different from that because he leads people to humility and brokenness which always leads to restoration you cannot be restored until you've been broken down and until you've been humbled and what's going on for many of us in this room hopefully all of us in this room is that God is humbling us. He's breaking us. We unveiled the logo a couple weeks ago. I have heard unbelievable feedback from people who have said, that logo speaks to me. That logo speaks to me because I am broken and I am humbled. And and when I see my church name all broken up like that, I understand I'm I'm one of many, yes, but I'm also broken. Just like those those words are broken, that's a good reflection of me. and, And it's a good reflection of me too. Today... I want to talk about this lie today. And the lie is that the better you perform, the more God will love you. That's the lie that religion tells. That's probably the biggest lie that religion tells. The more you perform, the more God will love you. This lie has probably done more damage to the cause of Christ than any other because with it comes an awful lot of baggage. And we have people in this church who have all kinds of racked up baggage because they came out of a system Somebody told them that if you perform well enough, God will love you. I'm here to tell you that's bunk. That is not true. Jesus goes after this lie in a really unique way. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 is a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not all of it. He says in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So let's just stop for a minute. Because when, when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, he's really responding to a very prevalent accusation of him in that day everyone thought that jesus was doing away with the law and if you looked at jesus lifestyle you might be convinced that that was true i mean if you watch the way he dealt with people if you watch 
some of the things that he said. If you, if you um, watch the way he moved about and the way he interacted sometimes, you might think, well, he was a little contrarian. You know, that's a little different. I mean, he, he, he doesn't look super religious. In fact, I've told you before, what got Jesus crucified is that he was not religious enough. But Jesus did some things that you might go, well, I don't know if he is really in line with the law. Like, he healed on the Sabbath day. And the people who were watching were like, you know, forget the fact that he healed. We're not awed by that. We're amazed by the fact that he did it on the Sabbath day. Well, how dare him? You know, I'm sure the guy that got raised up wasn't thinking that way, but everybody else around Jesus was like, well, he just did that on the Sabbath day. Didn't look religious. There were certain, um, there were certain people that he hung out with that you just weren't supposed to hang out with by the law, and that's who Jesus found himself around much of the time. And there were certain people who said, you know what, that's not cool. He shouldn't do that. And then there were certain ceremonies and rituals and traditions that he just didn't honor. Matthew 15 is a place where Jesus is walking with his disciples and they walk up to him and he's got his disciples behind him and they say, listen, we just saw your disciples eat and not wash their hands. The problem was this wasn't like when your mom said, hey, wash your hands before you come to supper and she made a big production of it and she would smell them or, or was that just me? She would do that too. But, but, you know, she would make sure that you'd washed your hands because she didn't want germs at the table and you were supposed to, you know, so you're supposed to wash your hands. That's not what this was about. This was about some religious thing. You may have touched somebody who was sinful and you needed to be ceremonially clean before you ate. And Jesus is like, scrap that. We're not doing that. And people had issues with it. So what had happened is they had the Ten Commandments which we're all familiar with, the written law. And then they began to add to those what is known as the oral law. They added some 600 plus extra commandments to what was already there. As if the Ten Commandments wasn't enough, they've got all these other things that they started to add to it. And this was probably one of their commandments, that you're supposed to, you know, wash your hands before you eat the food. And we look at that and we say, why would somebody create 600 more commands after you already had 10? Why would you do that? Well, for the same reason that you and I sometimes love rules and regulations. <coughs> See, for some reason, we get caught up in this idea that if I can go through the legalistic motions, I'm, I feel better about me. I don't know how many times just in the last couple of weeks I've had this conversation with people who come out of different religious environments and they say, Brett, I still do so-and-so. I still practice this or I still do that. And I say, you know what, that's okay. That's okay. It doesn't make God love you more. It doesn't make you any more spiritual. It, it, it may make you feel closer to God, but in reality, it's not making you any closer to God. It just makes you feel like it. And it's okay if you want to do those things. Just understand that, that God's crazy about you. The way you are right now, God's crazy. And you doing that doesn't make Him love you anymore. And, but some people say, you know, if I could just do a little more, for God, then there will be more freedom at the next level. That's what we think. If I could just do more, I'll, I'll get to that next level. And then we get to the next level and we expect freedom. And what we get is just more bondage. And it's like, no, I don't have the feeling yet. I got to do more. I got to do even more. And I'm looking to the right, looking to the left. And there's people over here that read their Bible more than me. And there's people over here that pray more than me. And I think, I got to pray more. I got I to read my Bible more. And we get to that next level. And it's like, no, that's not doing it for me either. And we get so caught up chasing the bar. We get so caught up trying to do more, we just end up in bondage. 
Life teaches you that you're never going to be good enough. Our lives are a screaming testimony to the fact that religion does not work. One of the problems with religion is that it's reinforced by the great American ideal that you get what you deserve. Right? I mean, we say that. We teach our kids that. And I would tell you that in a lot of circumstances, that's true. You do get what you deserve. Is there any parent in here who hasn't said to their children in some paraphrased way, if you will bring your books home and crack them open and study every day, if you will take good notes, if you will pay attention in class and not talk to your friend, if you will get a good night's sleep, get a good breakfast in the morning, and you work hard, you're going to get good grades. Haven't we all said that to our kids? And isn't it true, basically, when you went to school and you worked hard and you studied hard, you pretty much made good grades. You didn't make good grades when you didn't try very hard. And, and so, you know, and on a real grand scale, that kind of holds true. Now, it's not, you might have a teacher like I had when I was a freshman in college. Freshman English class, and this teacher stood up. Why do they do this to us? She stood up and she said, I'm just here to tell you that 75% of you will drop this class before it's over. And the 25% of you that remain, half of you will fail the class. Thank you very much. I cannot wait. You're wondering, aren't you? You're wondering. B minus, baby. B minus. Don't ask about any other grades, but I got a B minus in her class. We tell our kids, you know what? Go to work, be a team player, work hard. And this country averages so bad, all you got to be is a little above average, and you're going to excel, you're going to shine. Show, to, show up to work on time, don't cause trouble, do what they tell you to do, give your best effort, and things are going to be great. And you know what? Generally speaking, if you can do that, you're probably going to do okay at work. I had, a, I had a boss tell me one time in Terre Haute, they have a difficult time staffing their business because they can't find people who can pass a drug test. I almost said it a different way, and that would have been really crude. Can't, can't pass a drug test. And we, we tell our kids, if you, if you put a little money back and you get into the habit of saving money and you tithe and you, you treat your money the right way and you, you respect money, don't worship it, don't idolize it, but treat it the right way, over time you're probably going to be fairly financially successful because you'll understand how to handle money. And you know what? That's true. You get what you deserve in a lot of those things. But here's the problem. In this country, we don't like for things to be easy. Well, our parents taught us there's no such thing as a free lunch. And then Jesus comes along and he says, you know what, I'm going to give you grace. And you say, no, no, I'm going to earn my grace. i got to earn it. i got to work for it. I'm an American. And you can't just give it to me. I want to purchase my liberty. It can't be that easy. It can't just be Jesus. There has to be more than this. There has to be some bar I've got to reach and get higher and I've got to get to some other level. There's got to be more to it than just you're just going to give it to me. Religion latches onto that attitude and whispers into your soul, I want you to give me more. I want you to serve more. I want you to do more. I want you to give more. I want you to pray more. I want you to read your Bible more. Then God will love you. So that's what we do. What happens over time is that we begin to play a very dangerous game with God. I, I hope I'm in a room 
with not a lot of guys that did this when they were young. I'm hoping this is more of a lady thing. Ladies, when you were little, did you play a game with a flower, he loves me, he loves me not? If you did that, raise your hand. Let me see the ladies. Yeah, guys, I'm just warning you, just keep your hand down for that one, all right? <laughs> hand down, guys. But a lot of the ladies did that when they were younger. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And they would work their way through that flower. And at the end, whatever the petal said, he either loved you or he didn't love you. And when you're in the second grade, somehow your little mind thinks, well, then he doesn't love me. But, and you may have done that as a little girl or a little guy. But the truth is we have grown out of that, right? We would know today, if you were going to date somebody and think about getting married today, you wouldn't go through the flower thing saying, he loves me, he loves me not. You've grown past that. It's, it's different now. That you've matured beyond that. But you know what? Here's the reality. There are still people who are playing that game to this day with God. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And every day you just sit there and you wonder and you wish and you hope that you have somehow done enough to earn his grace and love. And Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The irony of the whole situation is that the Pharisees were the ones who were destroying the law with all their rituals and with all their hypocrisy and all their different things that they were loading up on people. So when Jesus comes along, he discovers that the word of God has now been encrusted with all of this stuff that it was never intended to be encrusted with. It's weighty and it's heavy and it's hard. It wears people out. And Jesus says, no, 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 this, this is not how it's supposed to be. And what Jesus is trying to do is to bring them back to the original. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to abolish the law. I'm going to fulfill the law. And that's exactly what he does in his death and his resurrection. I want you to see this passage of Scripture. I'm going to put this on the wall for you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And catch this phrase. By becoming a curse for us. Think about that for a minute. Think about the fact that your Savior became a curse for you. So when he went to the cross and he was resurrected, he's basically doing away with all of the Old Testament traditions and ceremonies, and he's setting people free from that so that they no longer have to live under that. It was cumbersome. It was difficult. It, it involved a lot of time and money, and it just it was hard. And he's saying, we're going to do away with the old covenant or the old promise. We're going to have a new one. We're going to have a new promise. Matthew 5, 18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these things these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 20 is very important. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. To which his listeners would go, we are totally hosed. 
we can't be that good those guys are the most religious most spiritual i mean those are the guys that got it all together they know the bible if we've got to be as good as the scribes and pharisees and a scribe was someone who copied scripture over and over so they knew the bible backward and forward as did the pharisees who knew the old testament backward and forward they they were experts in the law and and if you're hearing jesus say that you're like no they spiritually they've got it going on we can't be better than them if they can't get in we're never going to be able to get in but what jesus is saying about the religious leaders is that their righteousness is really nothing more than an external masquerade He says, these religious leaders that you watch, they think they've got it all together. Their religion is just nothing more than dead ritual. It is not a living relationship. It makes them proud, not humble. And it puts them in bondage, not liberty. I, I have been in the church my entire life. I grew up in the church. I've not ever known a time when I was not a churchgoer. And along about the age of 18 19 i went off to bible college and by 20 years old i was serving in churches i've been doing internships or i've been in church somehow some way working or serving since then and i've seen an awful lot of churches and i've seen an awful lot of christians and i've watched people in the church walk around like they've got it all together and i have seen people who could quote the bible book chapter and verse and they were so good at using those verses to judge everybody else because it made them feel better about themselves when they were able to judge somebody else and they were pretty smug but their righteousness was really nothing more when you started to kind of peek behind the curtain was nothing more than an external masquerade it was artificial Matthew 5 21 you have heard that it was said to the people long ago do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment again anyone who says to his brother raka which means foolish or, or prideful or vain anyone who says to his brother raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell and what Jesus did right there is he makes a fundamental change to things without altering God's standard. He made this change. He said, here's what's important. We're going to deal with the attitudes and the intentions of the heart and not simply the externals. I talk about this a lot from up here. I know I do, but the older I get, the more I do the Bible thing, I, I just it becomes very clear to me there is a huge difference between looking spiritual and being spiritual. And I can look spiritual if that's what you want. I can pray before all my meals. I can pray when you see me out in public somewhere. I can dress nicer. You know, I, I, can, I, I know all the right words to say, and I can, you know, use those big Bible words, and I know, you know, if you need me to, I can say God with four syllables. I mean, I can do all that stuff. And I can look really spiritual, and on the inside, I can be a total rascal. There's a huge difference between looking spiritual and being spiritual, and that's what Jesus is talking about. Up until this point, the Pharisees were all about external actions. 
They're about crossing certain things off their list so that they looked like they were close to God. And Jesus is saying, no, it's, it's not about external actions. It starts with an attitude of the heart. Verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother, do that first, then come and offer your gift. He says, what you guys do, you're coming into church, and you're bringing your gift and, and your, your worship and you're offering God something. But while you're there, you're reminded, hey, I, there's something between me and, and, and there's, a, there's something. You're convicted about something. In this case, it's a, he uses a, the, the illustration of a relationship that has kind of gone sideways. But it could be anything. It could be anything that God would convict you of. And he says, you're offering your gift, and then you remember, oh, man, there's something I need to take care of. He says, in that moment, ditch the religious tradition Ditch the thing that everybody expects you to do because it's the religious thing to do. Don't worry about that. Leave your gift at the altar. Go take care of the business that you're being convicted of. Then come back. He says, what you guys have done is you've turned religion into a game. Do you, do you think that I don't know, Jesus would say, do you think I don't know what's going on in your heart? Do you think I don't know that what you're showing everybody else isn't necessarily a true reflection of your heart. Let me show you what this looks like, just personally. I could have somebody walk up to me and say, Brett, how you doing? How are you and Jesus getting along? I know all the right things to say. Oh, me and Jesus, we're tight. You know, my prayer life's good. I've never felt closer. I just, you know... Just really had a great prayer time this morning, and God spoke to me and said this and said that. But you know what? I don't tell them. I don't tell them how I lost my temper with my kids the night before and didn't talk like a Christian dad. Forget that I didn't talk like a pastor. Didn't talk like a Christian dad. Didn't love my kids well, or my wife maybe. You know, I don't. I don't how are things going with you spiritually? Oh, things are great. Boy, I hope they don't find out what I, what you know I said to Myra last night. I could make you think I'm really spiritual, but you want to know the truth? You want to know the truth? It's nasty in here. It's horrible. It's despicable. It's deceitful. It's not good. You know what I know? That's true of you. That's true of you. And we can dress it up, and we can walk around, and we can say all the right words. See, if you just master the vocabulary a little bit, you can look spiritual. It's not hard. But that speaks nothing to what's going on in the heart. Maybe you came in here to worship this morning. You're, you've sung the songs, and you know, God, I'm going to give myself to you, and totally surrendered, and, and all that stuff. And then the offering goes by, and you're like, okay, how little can I give and still be considered a giver? Or forget offering, because that... Preach, you know, I'm not after your money. I could care less. I, I could care, but if you know me, you know what I mean by that. If you don't know me, I don't want you giving anyway. So <laughs> let's use something else, okay? Let's use something else. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm totally surrendered to God, but I don't, I'm not, I, don't, I don't have the time to go on that mission trip. I'll go on that mission trip. That's going to be a hassle. How little can I give God and still be considered a believer and still be considered somebody who gives and is generous with my time or whatever? 
Maybe you're involved in a small group and, and you, know, you, you know all the right things to say. You're learning all about it in small group and then you go to work on Monday morning and people are going, you go to church? Really? I had it said to me in the, in the last week or two, I had somebody talking to me. I've been talking to all kinds of people lately, people joining church, coming to Christ. It's awesome, awesome things happening. Um, but I was talking to can't remember who it was i was talking to somebody and they said well since we started coming to cross lane we're seeing a lot of people that we knew outside of church that we didn't know went to church and i'm like oh that is not good that is not good listen if you're if you're coming here and you're really in pursuit of jesus if you're really in pursuit of jesus it should be changing your heart. And as your heart changes, then your behavior changes. But you're not going to change your heart by changing behavior. It doesn't work that way. God says, I want to get to your heart. You know what I think God would say? I think God would say, do you think I don't know? Do you, do you think that I don't see what you're doing? You want to come to church so you can look good, so you can cross something off a list, but you have no intention of growing in Christ. You have no intention of having a, a transformed heart and life. And, and for some of us, sometimes there's this area where God's just prompted us and convicted us. Maybe it's, it could be any number of things. It could be pornography. It could be a bad relationship. It could be marriage. It, it could be stubbornness or pride or anything. Some area where God's prompting us. And, and, and he says, you know, we need to take a look at this. And our response is, no, God, I'll just go to church more. I know what, I'll give you some money. I never do that. But please don't look at my heart. Please don't challenge my heart to change. Please don't ask me to change something that I'm doing. I'll just go to church more. I'll look spiritual, but I don't want to be spiritual. And what we do is we play a game with God. Religion is all about the lie that the more spiritually active you are, the more you perform, the more transformation happens. And it's just false. It's not true. You cannot increase your spiritual activity and assume that somehow that's going to cover everything that God wants out of you. And what Jesus is saying here is exactly that. Stop trying to fool me. Matthew 5.27. This is beautiful it's not really it's kind of scary but you have heard that it was said do not commit adultery but i tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart guys how's that hit you how you feeling about right now if your right eye causes you to sin gouge it out and throw it away it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus, just let me help you here, is using something called oversight or overstatement. So we're not going to go cut our hands off and gouge our eyes out, okay? It's, it's something teachers use. It's called overstatement. He's saying sexual impurity begins in here. 
the Pharisees have all these external actions, and they, they you know, they, they believe that, that these actions are sinful, and they are, but they believe that that's all it is. It has nothing to do with the heart. And Jesus says you have to understand that anger is murder in your heart. Lust is adultery in your heart. Your heart is wrong. Your heart is bad. Your heart needs to be transformed. As you transform the heart, actions will follow. You cannot change a heart by changing the actions. It's got to be the other way around. Here's the problem with religion. Religion is about keeping everything surface level. It's about having this really hard surface that nothing's able to penetrate And it's very inauthentic. So what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to teach them, look, don't pay attention to the outside. Let me in. Let me get to your heart. Let's talk about that. See, how do I want to say this? I heard one pastor talking about another pastor last night on a video. Watched a very inspirational video and jacked me up man I was fired up when I got done with that but the one pastor was talking to the other pastor's congregation about their pastor and he said about this guy he said I know him probably as well as anybody knows him and what I want you as a church body to know is that the more I get to know him and I know some of the I know stuff that could get him fired the more I know him the more a man of integrity he is the more a man of honor he is but we're afraid sometimes to enter into relationships that deep because we're afraid of what people will find. And definitely we don't want Jesus to get so close to us that he could actually see the mess that is our heart, right? We want it surface. God, I'll just come to church. I'll just read my Bible a lot. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll say the prayer that my mama taught me to pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. And I never miss that, God. Say it every night before I go to bed. And God's like, no, I don't... I want, I want to have a conversation with you. I want to relate with you. I want to, let's talk about what's going on in your heart. And we go, no! That's too close. Religion is an attempt to make bad people good people. I got completely lost right there. John 15, 5 says this. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He doesn't say you need to abide in religion. He says you need to abide in me. I want you to abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. Do not abide in a religious system. Why? Because religious systems lead to behavior modification. They do not and they will not transform the heart. Religion is an attempt to make good people bad people. And if that's what you're looking for in life, if you're looking to just be a little better person, a little more moralistic, be a good person, then religion's for you. But that's the best it can do. That's it. It can't transform a heart. Religion at its best takes good people 
takes bad people and turns them into good people, I would argue that it really doesn't even do that very well. See, here's the problem. It isn't that you're bad and you need to be a little better. That's not the problem. The problem is sin, and religious systems can do nothing about sin. You need Jesus for that. Religion says, let's make bad people good people. Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to take dead people and make them alive people. That's what I'm going to do. There's a huge difference between those two. Please get this. You are not defined by what you do. You are defined by what God has done. There are people who are just, they're being religious. They're, you know, look at me, God, I'm going, I'm going to church and I'm, I'm reading my Bible every day. Can't tell you what it says, but I read it every day. Pray the same prayer every day. Pray three times. God is great. God is good. Thank you, God, for this food. Amen. I say the prayer. Allowing the truth that I'm talking about, that you're not defined by what you do, you're defined by what God has done for you, that truth by itself will revolutionize your life if you let it. It'll change your heart. I love Romans 5.8. When I talk to somebody about coming to Jesus, we always get to 5.8, Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I need you to lock into that word still for just a minute. While we were still sinners. What that means is God did not die for you once you got your life cleaned up and everything was great. It's, it's the equivalent of someone saying, boy, I'm filthy dirty. I need to take a shower before I get in a bathtub. What? You take a bath to get clean, right? But there are still people who would say, oh, I'm going to come to church one of these days and I quit cussing, drinking, smoking, and chasing women. I'm going to come to church. And I would say, come to church and let us help you quit smoking, drinking, chasing women. You're not going to change things until Jesus gets in your heart and starts to do a work. It's, a, it's, it's crazy. Why do we think that somehow we can change this stuff on our own? We can't. See, every other religious system says God will love you if you do fill in the blank. God will love you if you bow to Mecca three times a day. God will love you if you dress up. God will love you if you, you know, you... you never touch alcohol whatever the thing is god will love you if in christianity jesus comes along and he says look i've got this okay i've got it i did the work you keep working and trying and striving would you just would you just stop i've got it i think that all of us fight with this idea of externals and we all fight with this concept of i've got to do something to get god to like me even though we've been trained and even though in our hearts we probably know it's not true there's still this thing we fall into it because we were trained that way we're grew, we grew up just kind of being inundated with those ideas and our american ideals even say that you know you got to earn it you got to earn it you got to earn it and so i think that that's something that we all struggle with but i think we react in two different ways the first group they're motivated to work harder that's what they do, to do more. So, so, you know, that's what their adult life is all about, trying to earn God's grace. And they work really hard, and then they get really frustrated in their faith 
because they never really fully arrive. It's like, I'm going to get to that next level, and then it's going to be, you know, euphoria. No, it's not. You're going to get to that level, and you're going to think, no, there's someone else a level above me. I've got to get to where they are. And what they have to do to make themselves feel good is they've got to criticize everybody else. They've got to judge everybody else. They've got to look down their noses because it makes them feel better. And these people are bitter. They're angry. Nobody wants to be around them. People who don't go to church, they see that and they go, if that's church, count me out, man. I don't want any part of that. And these people that get caught up into this thing where I've got to do more, I've got to do more. You know what? If this describes you, and I don't expect you to give any outward indication, but inside right now, I'm going to say something, you're going to go, oh, that's me. You're exhausted. And you're angry because you're doing all this stuff, but you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. That story, I preached a sermon called Human Being. If you've not heard it, you need to listen to that. It's about Mary and Martha when, when Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha's in the kitchen working hard, and Martha comes out and yells at Jesus and yells at Mary and says, she's not helping me. And, and Jesus goes, no, she chose the better thing. The problem was Martha was doing all the right stuff, but doing it for the wrong reason. She was serving, but her heart wasn't right. And that's what happens to these people who think, man, I've got to work harder, I've got to do more. And then the other group, they respond differently. They aren't motivated to try harder. They just run away. They say, you know what, if, if that's, I've got to be all that. I'm, I don't want any part of that. I'm just going to run away. And there are a lot of people who don't want to come to church with you that you've invited to come to church because they think it's about how well they perform. And they just feel defeated and unworthy. They, they don't want to come have people look down their nose at them. That's what they think we're going to do. You need to be freed by this truth. This may be one of the most important things I ever say to you ever in my tenure as the pastor of this church. God cannot love you more than he loves you. He is stone cold, crazy, madly, deeply in love with you. He cannot love you more than he loves you. And he will not love you less. So what I want you to do is I want you to just close your eyes. Just get, get to a quiet place for just a minute. Because here's what you need to hear God speaking into your heart and into your spirit and your soul right now as we wrap up this series on religion. This is what God wants to say to you, I believe. I love you. I cannot love you more than I love you in this moment right now. Nothing you do today is going to make me love you more. Your behavior and your performance while it may glorify me or, or non-glorify me, doesn't affect how much I love you. I love you. And I refuse, I will not love you less. Okay, look up here at me for a minute. Do I want you to behave well? I absolutely want you to behave well. But I want you to do it because God is doing a work in your heart 
Because when you behave well and it's because God's doing a work in your heart, here's what I know. You won't look down your nose at everybody else. You won't be judgmental. You won't do something good and go, see, I did it better than you did it. Because your heart won't be that way. When you do things, when you do the right thing for the right reason, God gets glory. When you do the right thing for the wrong reason, God gets no glory. So this is about God letting God penetrate and do a work in your heart. It's okay wherever you are in your faith right now, it's okay for you to be in that place. But God wants to take you to a new place. And he expects it. And that's about heart transformation. If you've never given your life to Christ, that's what's being offered to you when we offer you the gift of Christ in this room. It's not about performing better. You're never going to perform well enough to get into heaven. Forget that. It's about the liberty that we find in Jesus. He meets us where we are, and he says, I'm going to start doing a work in you right where you are, right with your heart. So we're going to sing in a minute. If you've never given your life to Christ, I invite you into that kind of freedom and that kind of liberty. Now, if you say, I'm not going forward, I'm not, I'm not doing that whole thing, fine, come find me later. Talk to Kyle, catch one of the pastors, catch somebody that's a Christian that you know, and tell them, I want that, I just don't really know how to do it. But don't wait. And don't put it off. Because God's waiting and willing to change you. Let's pray together. Father, we, we just get broken down when we start to think about what happened on the cross for us. And I see, I see that, and I realize I'm forgiven. There's no part of me that deserves that. And instead of making me haughty and proud, it just makes me humble. It, it just makes me realize I've got no right to say anything to anybody else because you've got, you got your hands full with me. And Father, we're all in this room at different stages in our walk with you, but this one thing is very true. You sent Jesus to die for all of us. Forgiveness is ours. And God, whether we have given our life to you or not, I pray that the people in this room would know one thing over all other things, and that is to hear your voice whispering in this room to them this morning, I love you. I love you. I love you. The Bible says it is God's patience that leads us to repentance. How beautiful is that? So God, this morning, meet us where we are. Transform our hearts. to a new and glorious place where we behave for you beautifully not because we want some crown or not because we want attention but because we want to honor and glorify you it's in Jesus name we pray